Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. You know, here in 2018, man, it seems like every body is a critic. You know, you check out at the store, they invite you to do a survey, right? To tell them how they did in the survey, all right? Uh, you're planning a trip, what do you do? You pull up TripAdvisor or one of these countless other um, websites that help you rate and, and, and to, uh, to, uh, to critique everything that's, that, that's been on that trip, right? You, you pull up the city to see the hotels and the restaurants to see uh, how folks have rated the city you're going to be traveling to. I mean, think about all of our social media, right? All, 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 all the social media, it's just filled with critics. Facebook and Twitter, YouTube is critic after critic. It is loaded up with critics. Everybody has a platform to tell everyone what's wrong with everything today. Now, the platforms may be new, but criticism and critics are not new. They've been around forever. Back in ancient times, there's this father and son and their donkey one day. They were traveling from village to village. The boy walked while the man rode on the donkey. And the father overheard a bystander say, That is a shame. Look how that man's walking. And that boy is riding that donkey. He's making that poor man walk. Not wanting to be the object of criticism. The, the father and son changed places. The, the boy got on the donkey while the, uh, the, the boy rode the donkey uh, or walked while the man rode. And then some woman commented, look how that man is riding that donkey and making that little boy walk. Then the father and son, they said, okay, okay, we, we, we want to avoid this criticism. So they both got up on the donkey. And as they traveled down the road, someone said, I want you to look at that man and that boy all loaded up on that poor donkey, making it suffer, carry both of them along. So they both got off. And the people remarked, look how stupid. <laughs> That man and boy are, they're walking when they could be riding that donkey. So they'd had enough. By the time they entered the last village, the boy was walking and the man was carrying the donkey. <laughs> they were done with it. Beloved, have you found it to be true that no matter what you do, someone will find something wrong with what you did. Someone will find fault. And oftentimes, it's us. Right? You want, to find, you, you want to find fault finders? Look in the mirror, right? Today we're going to continue in our series called Potty Mouth, where we're looking at how to use our mouths to honor God. A potty mouth is not just using your mouth with vulgar words or with cuss words. A potty mouth is using your mouth in any way that dishonors God. And criticism is one of the ways that we demonstrate a potty mouth. Now, let me just clarify here for a moment before I get into this, because I can't stand up here and say to you, like I said last week, don't lie. That's what I stood up here and said, right? It is just cut and dry, black and white. Do not lie. Or when it came to gossip, I stood up here and said, stop it. Hush. Because every time you lie, every time you gossip, that is sinful. But that's not the case with criticism. You see, criticism in itself is not sinful. Right? The Bible is full of instances where God himself is criticizing people. 
And, and there are many invocations to us from God to be discerning and critical and to judge well. In fact, probably the most explicit passage in all the Bible, perhaps, is John 7, verse 24. Where Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You see, God wants us to be able to, to distinguish between good and bad, between, between right and wrong, between beautiful and ugly. And, and we're not to just keep those judgments to ourselves. We've been called to judge rightly and then to do what? Speak the what? Truth. To speak the truth. And in some instances, speaking the truth will come in the form of criticism. And speaking truth in the form of criticism sometimes is not only right, but it's good. It is good for those who hear it. Some of the most important conversations I've ever had in my life when I've grown is when someone speaking the truth has sat down and said, Ben, this is not good enough. You can do better. Now, I hope you don't say that after the sermon, okay? <laughs> right? I am setting myself up to be the appetizer for lunch today, okay? Please, refrain, refrain. No, uh, Danger, Will Roger, danger, right? But nevertheless, okay, it says here, as we think about this, they were to speak the truth. And some of the best conversations I've had where I've grown, now they were hard conversations because none of us like criticism. But some of the most important conversations I've ever had in my life is when someone said, Listen, you can do better than this. And so criticism is very important in helping us to grow and to get better. But there is a fine line that we must be very mindful of because in our righteous criticism, we can easily cross a line into being a critical person. Being a critical person, cr criticism itself is, is not always bad, but being a critical person is always bad. When you're a critical person, nothing is ever good enough for a critical person. They are constantly irritated at everything and everybody around them. They will chew people up and spit them out. They're always fault-finding. It's like they walk around the world with a white glove on one hand, feeling around and touching to find the dirt. And in the other hand, they carry this great big old magnifying glass trying to look and see, to try to find the nits to pick, and nitpick they'll do. And then they'll nitpick the nitpicks. Y'all know anybody like that? Do you see them every day when you look in the mirror? Well, today I want to help us to not cross over that line into sinful criticism. So our text this morning is going to help us to do that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. It's going to help us to do that, so I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. And as you stand, keep in mind that here at Eastwood, we value life transformation. Right? We want you to be better. God's Word points where we have fallen short so that we might grow to be like Christ. All right. Here's what the Word of God says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray together. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to see this text and to apply it. Father, this text right here actually has very wide-ranging application. And we're going to take one very narrow application today, thinking about criticism here. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to do that. Take seriously the calling on our lives to have a holy mouth, not a potty mouth. And so help us to criticize righteously. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Grab your seat there. So here's today's task. How do I give? We're going to answer this question. How do I give righteous criticism? And there are six things here in the text that will help us to do that. All right? First, in order to give righteous criticism, you have to understand the context. Understand the context. You see, the entire book of Galatians here, it is a very critical book. In fact, commentators will say, I want you to notice how Paul didn't do all the pleasantries that he normally does when he's looking and beginning to talk here in the, in the epistles here. He jumps right into it, man. He jumps out from the gate, sort of up in their grill a little bit, okay? It is an extensive critique putting your hope in your own works. It's an extensive critique of that. Those who are putting their hope for salvation in their own works. Paul had led these people to Christ. He was so excited about who they were in Jesus. They had put their faith in the grace of God alone, in the work of Christ alone. But then somebody came in behind him and began to turn them astray, to show them this hopelessness. They, they, they didn't preach it as that, but that's what it was. It was a hopelessness to put their hope in the works of the law, particularly the work of circumcision. And Paul wanted to call them back to the Christian truth and to show them the utter hopelessness of works righteousness. And so Paul here in Galatians 5, he gets to the apex of his criticism and he delivers, man. It is a stinging rebuke. In fact, some would argue that it's perhaps, I mean, Jesus had some very hard words. And when you think of Paul, maybe this is the hardest word from Paul in all of the Bible. Look at Galatians 5, beginning in the first verse, reading down through the 12th. It says this. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free, and stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Did you catch that last part? I mean, it's saying, he's basically saying, I wish that those who want you to cut off a little bit of foreskin would just go ahead and cut off the whole thing. This is intense criticism, stinging rebuke. But you have to understand here, Paul understood the context he was speaking into. You see, he understood the facts 
He understood the situation, the seriousness of the, the, the situation they were in, right? Putting your hope in works. He understood that these new Christians were being led astray and that they might make a shipwreck of the faith if they continued down the path they were heading. And so he had to stand and to critique the situation. And he, sure he, made, had, he, he made sure he had all the facts and that he understood the context before he began to speak. Now, how often do you and I jump in and we end up with our foot in our mouth because we don't know all the facts? We don't understand the context. We don't know what's going on, right? Too often, we jump in and we criticize without understanding the context. We often see just a snippet of that person's life and we make judgments, broad, sweeping judgments based on that one little bit. I'm calling you this morning as you think about righteous criticism to take a step back and to try to see the bigger picture. You need to understand that that person is not just that, that one single snippet. They have a whole life. And that maybe back home, their life is miserable, right? Or maybe the person's struggling with the recent death of a loved one. Or whatever the case may be, there's more to the story that is relevant to the situation. Almost Always. So you always need to ask yourself, what am I missing? What am I missing? Do I have all the facts? You may have gotten only half the story. So, so, so it's up to us to get as many facts as we can before we criticize somebody. We have to know all the facts. We need to understand the context. But secondly, if you're going to give righteous criticism, you need to ask God for courage. Ask God for courage. Now, as I've looked at this passage... This action is not explicit in the text, okay? Just gonna be straight up with you. But as I studied it, as I prayed over it, it's an application of something that I believe is explicit in the text. And I'm just gonna say this one right here just may be for Ben this morning, okay? But I'm gonna share it with you, okay? Ask God for courage. Look at Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13 says, You were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love, serve one another. Now there's the principle that is explicit, right? You are to love one another through love, serve one another. And righteous criticism is one of the ways that we do that. But it takes courage. It takes courage. Perhaps it's that Christian brother or sister that you've seen slipping. You've seen their walk declining. You've seen them slowly but surely turning away from the faith. Maybe they're, they're, they're gone from church as much or as more than they're here. Or they seem to be cozier to sin. And you see it, but you're afraid to bring it up. You're afraid to broach the conversation with them, right? You're afraid to say something. You're afraid to point out that something seems to be wrong. And I want you to understand this morning that God has called you to serve them. God has called you to serve them. And you need to ask God to give you the courage. Ben Simpson needs to ask God to give me the courage to lovingly and gently begin the conversation with them. You know what? Sometimes people will go as far as we let them, right? They're actually waiting. They're walking away from the church. They're walking away from the Lord saying the whole time, well, ain't nobody called me yet. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. That's an excuse. But nevertheless, we've been called to serve one another, right? We need to ask God for the courage to lovingly and gently begin that conversation or, 
Or maybe it's not even the church world. Maybe it's your supervisor at work. He's been falling short. He's burned out. He's not taking your organization forward. And you care for him. And you care for your organization. But you're afraid. You're afraid to say something. Because of the fear of reprisal, right? You're afraid of retaliation. You're afraid what's going to happen back to you. Beloved, I say to you this morning, ask God for courage. Whatever the case may be, we need courage from God to speak up and to deliver righteous criticism. So often we serve our own flesh by never saying anything. We want to avoid With everything in our power, we want to avoid, or at least Ben Simpson wants to avoid that awkward conversation. Or especially that heated confrontation that we always drum up in our mind. But I've not been called to serve my own flesh. I've been called to serve others. And so have you. You've been called to serve others. Therefore, there are times that you and I must speak up and bring a point of righteous criticism. And if people love us, they should do the same thing back to us, right? That's the idea here, mutual accountability within the body of Christ. But God can give me courage, and God can do the same for you. Third, third, in order to give righteous criticism, you need to let it come from genuine care for the person. Let it come from genuine care. Look at, look at verse 13 and 14 again. Verse 13 and 14 here in Galatians 5 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how are you supposed to serve one another? What does the text say? Through what? Everybody say love. Good. And how should you do it? You should love them as you love whom? Yourself. In other words, you should genuinely care for the person that you're being critical of. Just as you genuinely care for yourself. You see, genuine love, genuine care changes so much about the act of delivering a critical word, right? It changes your approach. It changes your tone. But most importantly, it changes the end, the goal that you have going into it, right? You are not looking, if you love them, if you genuinely care for them, you're not looking to destroy them. You're not looking to chew them up and spit them out. You're looking to build them up. Right? You're looking to make them better. As it says in Ephesians 5.14, you are speaking the truth in love. Love is to be your motivation. You are to genuinely care for the other person. You can't. If you genuinely love them, just chew them up and spit them out. That's sinful criticism. That's what sinful critics do. you got to love them. That's what righteous criticism does. So let your criticism come from genuine care for the person. Fourth, in order to give righteous criticism, you need to be choosy. You need to be choosy, right? Choosy moms choose Jif, right? We hear things like that. In other words, you're selective. You're not critical about everything, right? We all know that person who it seems like everything that comes out of their mouth is what's wrong with something, okay? That person's not selective, right? They're they're like the machine gun 
of criticism, mowing everybody down. But as you just heard here in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, that you're to serve one another through love. And then we read this in 1 Peter 4, 8. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You see, love pushes us to be choosy. Not everything rises to the point of criticism. Love causes us to give people the benefit of the doubt. Love causes us to back off. Love causes us to not wear people out, as my wife tells me sometimes. Ben, you just wear me out, you know? I told you I'm preaching to me today, right? But we read in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love is patient. If you're going to be choosy, if you're going to be selective, you've got to be patient. People are a work in progress. They're not robots and they're not Jesus yet. Give them a break. Come on. We read in 1 Corinthians 13, 7 and 8 that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And so because we love, We must be choosy, selective in our criticism. Beloved, there is always a fault to find. Always a fault to find. One time in a Peanuts, Charlie Brown comic strip, Linus, he was curled up on a chair, reading a book while Lucy stood behind him with this funny look on her face. And he looked up at her, kind of trying to understand what was going on. And Lucy said, it's very strange. It happens just by looking at you. And he said, what happens? And she said, I can feel criticism (laughs) rising up in me. (laughs) Can't we all be like a Lucy sometimes, right? So much so like Lucy. Guys, we have to be selective or we will exasperate people. We will wear them down and they're meter of basically, I just give up. They'll either just give up or they'll walk away. So be very careful. Be very careful. Be choosy. Be selective. Fifth, in order to give righteous criticism, you need to demonstrate restraint. Demonstrate restraint. You have to be cautious. You see, sometimes criticism cuts, right? It it must cut. But we don't want to mutilate the person. Right? We don't want to amputate stuff. We've got to show constraint. We've got to go show constraint in our words. We've got to show constraint in our tone. We've got to show constraint in stopping. We need to know when to stop. That's the picture that we get here in Galatians 5. This is a people that didn't know when to quit. Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. It's a picture of beginning to chew on somebody and not being able to stop until they're all ate up. It's like that old Lay's potato chip slogan, right? Bet you can't eat just one. Remember that? You open that bag of potato chips and you're like, no, I can do this. I can eat just one. And then before you know it, the whole bag is gone, okay? Well, criticism is much like that, right? Because we, for whatever reason, we love it. 
We love to show people how wrong they are and how we can fix them. And we start and we try to give just one. But then we, here comes another one. And, and while I'm at it, let me throw this in here too. And Oh, do you remember this? You know, you just... You can't just give, you can't, you can't give just one, but you and I must show constraint. Otherwise, the person that you're taking a bite of will eventually be consumed. You must know when to stop. You must demonstrate constraint. Finally, in order to give righteous criticism, you need to strive to be constructive. Be constructive. Look at verse 15 again. It talks about devouring and consuming one another. And too often that's how we use criticism, right? We bite and we metaphorically kill one another. It's it's sort of like the situation with the Tasmanian devils, the real ones, not the Bugs Bunny ones. Tasmanian devils are ferocious little dudes, okay, and gals. And they have been here recently, they've been under attack from a a contagious cancer. I didn't even know that cancer was contagious, but amongst these Tasmanian devils, it is. It's contagious. For the past 25 years, they've been suffering from what is called devil facial tumor disease. I hope I can't catch it. You know, <laughs> that sounds bad. But for the last 25 years, the population of Tasmanian devils has been devastated by this disease. Scientists, they, they began to notice that these carnivorous marsupials, they were dying left and right. And as they began to dig into the cause, they discovered that the issue was this contagious cancer that spread from one infected Tasmanian devil to the other one through bites. They bite each other around the mouth very frequently, and this cancer spreads through those bites. And over the years, over 40% of the Tasmanian devil population has died. Thousands of those little devils, right? They've died because of this cancer. And so often, you and I act like these Tasmanian devils. Man, we're biting and devouring one another. And once we're bit, we want to bite somebody else, right? You ever see that with kids especially, right? One gets bitten and the other one's like, I got to find some. I can't bite that one. He's too big. I'm going to go find somebody else to bite. Somebody little that I can do that with. And that's how we act as humans, right? That bite and that infection just keeps passing along until eventually everybody is infected, so to speak. Guys, listen. Our criticism is not for devouring one another. It is for, it's not for tearing each other apart. It is for building each other up. It, it may be complete cognitive dissonance for me even to say that that criticism is constructive. You might, you might be a type of person that everything you hear that is negative about yourself, it eats you alive. There is no place in your book for, for, for criticism that's good. But guys, God gave it to us for the aim of building one another up. Just as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, as it calls us to do, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Building up often includes tearing down in order to raise back rightly, okay? We're to edify one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to help one another to grow and to be more like Jesus. So to sum up this part, to give righteous criticism, you need to be contextual, courageous, caring, choosy, 
constrained and constructive. But what if you're the one receiving it? Anybody here love to receive criticism? No, nobody does. But we need to receive it well because it's an important part of our life. Let me just share with you just four quick things here. How do you receive criticism well? The first principle I would say to you this morning is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That comes straight out of James 1.19. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Look at it. Verses 19 and 20. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Too often when someone comes to us, they finally get the courage. And let's say they come with the right heart and all these things. It doesn't matter. But we're too quick when that comes to defend ourselves. We don't have time to listen because we're coming up with why they're wrong and they don't understand the real deal. So we're too quick to defend ourselves often. Not only that, not, don't, just be, don't be too quick to defend yourself, but don't retaliate. Because oftentimes, when someone comes to criticize, what do you do back? Oh, you want to throw that grenade? I got a grenade right back at you. And you both end up, as it says here in Galatians 5, consuming one another. You blow one another to bits. But the Bible says here to be quick to hear and slow to speak. In other words, listen, hear them out. God may have sent them to you. Do you remember that in the book of, 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 of I think it's 2 Samuel, where this guy, King David, is walking through the land, and this guy from the house of Saul is literally picking up rocks and dust and chucking them at the king and saying, you, David, are a scoundrel, basically. <laughs> I don't think he used those words. but And do you remember what David said? Man, his, his, his right-hand man, his, his, his head of secret service, so to speak, said, King, won't you let me just go cut his head off? And you know what David said? David said, let him speak. It may be the Lord that sent him to criticize me. So don't always discount the first thing you hear when someone comes to you with criticism. Secondly, you need to do this. How do you receive criticism? Well, you need, to, you need to consider the source. Now, that goes for good and bad, right? That goes for good and bad. If it is somebody that you know loves you, someone who has your back, someone who is out for your best interests, you should give them the benefit of the doubt and hear them out. They love you. They're for you. They're not trying to destroy you. Consider the source. They love you. You should listen to them. But also on the other side of it, sometimes you got to consider the source, right? Sometimes it's somebody that doesn't have a clue, right, about your life or who you really are. They just saw that snippet and they made a judgment. We especially see this maybe on social media. So you've got to consider the source there. They may have no clue and you realize they have no clue. Third, though, this is so important. This is so important. Third, Look for truth in the critique, even if it's given poorly. Look for truth in the critique, even if it's given poorly. So oftentimes when we hear someone critique us, we want to focus on how they said it and when they said it and who they said it in front of. And we do that so that we don't have to deal with what was actually said. 
We want to get with all the metadata instead of the actual data. And it's important for you and me to actually take to heart, to look for the truth in the critique, even if it's given poorly. And finally, I would say this to you. To receive criticism well, seek a second opinion. Seek a second opinion. Your critic could be right, even though you think he's not. Right? Anybody here have any blind spots? Right? Your critic could be right, and you have no clue. So you need to seek a second opinion. Or they could be bat crazy. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) They may not have a clue. And that second opinion, that second opinion will help you to determine if what they said is true or not. Now, you don't go to somebody who's just going to say, oh, they're crazy. You go to someone that you trust. You go to somebody that you know will tell you the truth. And you tell them, listen, no retaliation here. I'm not going to get mad. I need you to tell me the truth. Is this true? This person said this about me. Do you see that in my life? If you're wise, that's what you'll do. If you're wise, that's what you'll do. Turn to those that love you enough to tell you the truth. Beloved, as we come to a, conclu- to a conclusion this morning, your mouth was meant to glorify God. Therefore, imitate God when criticism is necessary, right? Righteous criticism. Receive it well even. Just imagine here for a moment if God chewed you up and spit you out. Where would you be today if God chewed you up and spit you out? Yeah, God has clearly pointed out that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, God has soundly condemned all who will die in their sin. But praise be to God that God did not chew you up and spit you out. When you fell short, he sent his son Jesus to do it for you. This morning, if you're here and you have never repented and believed on Jesus, this morning is the perfect opportunity. Christ came that you could be saved, that your mouth and your whole body and your whole soul could be cleansed. If you've never trusted in Christ, Christ lived the life you cannot live and he died the death you deserve, that you could be forgiven and saved. And if you're here today, And criticism is, you're just not good at it. You're just not godly with it. Let me put it that way. You're just not godly with it. Then this morning is an opportunity for you to get cleansed by God. This is your opportunity to get cleansed. And for others of you, you are too thin-skinned. It is your opportunity this morning to ask God to help you handle criticism in a godly manner. Here's my final prayer. May we see the critical nature of doing criticism correctly. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? 
Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.